Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Stompcast with me, Dr. Alex George. This is the podcast where I go for a walk with a guest and take a little wander into their life. This week, I'm stomping with Ali Abdal. Ali is a doctor turned YouTuber, entrepreneur, podcaster, and most recently author of a phenomenal book, which I put my name to, so it's on the back as someone that recognizes his work and how great this book is. But can I just say, and seriously, this book has changed my life. And the, the, the tips that he's shared in this book have changed my life. You're going to hear that throughout the episode. You're going to hear the changes that I've made to my life because of this book. So I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. Ali has built a community of over 5 million subscribers on YouTube with his videos on productivity, health, uh, and studying. And he's now the most followed productivity expert online. He literally started these videos on YouTube uh, at medical school. And he's built it up through his foundation years as a doctor to the point where he was helping so many people with his productivity videos that he's left medicine to do this full time. It's a phenomenal story. I honestly can't wait for you to hear this. Uh, Ali's new book, Feel Good Productivity, which I've been talking about, explains the secret to being productive, which offers an easier and happier path to success. It's no surprise it's an instant Sunday Times and New York bestseller, and today I'm going to uncover all the reasons as to why it's done so well. And before I start, a reminder that there is another great book that can really help your mental health, The Mind Manual. I've got producer Abby looking at me and laughing. So make sure you do check out uh, The Mind Manual. Also, we've released a Better Day journal for young people. So a Better Day won Children's Non-Fiction of the Year last year uh, at the British Book Awards, which is a huge honour. I'm so, so proud of that. I'm so proud of how many people we've helped, and the journal is for me, a great companion to that book and will help a lot of young people. So check that out if you haven't already. Right, shall we? Let's get started. Well, Ali, welcome to uh, the Stompcast. It is a freezing cold day. We've both made a rookie error, which is... We don't have hats, man. We don't have hats. Although you've got the gloves. I've got... You haven't got gloves? No, I've got my my hands in my pocket, so I think Uh, think it should be all Keep your hands uh, warm, but unfortunately I can't do much for our ears. They're going to be a bit chilly on this one, but we're just joking. I mean, it's good sometimes to... To, to be really cold and make a mistake like that because we won't be doing it again. That's the thing. Yeah, when you experience the pain of your own actions, then you start to change your behavior. There you go. Uh, there you go. At least some of the time. <laughs> you started off with uh, some wise words already. So I came on your podcast uh, a little while ago and we were talking about the mind manual and everything there. And, I, and I've been really excited to you know, get you on uh, the Stompcast. It's been amazing watching your journey over the years and what you've achieved. You know, you've come from, you know, working as an F1, F2. I think you started the kind of YouTube journey while it's still in med school, wasn't yeah. it? And then you've had this incredible growth um, in that period of time after a lot of hard work and a lot of consistency. Um, and what you've achieved is phenomenal. And right now you've got to the point where you're now a digital nomad, which is a word I'd never heard of before. Yeah. I heard from you. <laughs> so, well, let's start off with that. What, what is a digital nomad and how is nomading going? Yeah, I guess a digital nomad is... is I, I don't know when the term became in fashion, uh, but it's sort of like a person who travels around the world, doesn't really have a fixed home base. 
no fixed abode, as we would say in the emergency department. Yes, um, indeed. And you, it's normally someone who can work remotely. And you um, do this, and you're doing it by choice because you want the freedom, is that right? Yeah, and you know, I, I, I always liked the idea of, it, of doing this. Uh, when I read the four hour work week, when I was like 18, just, just going into medical school, you know, he talks about a lot of people are trying to, <laughs> trying to get rich in the hope that when they are rich enough, they will then be able to travel the world. And there are people that are like, oh, you know, I just need to stick it out at this job for another 10 years and then I'll be able to afford to, I don't know, live in Thailand for three months. And you realize living in Thailand for three months is actually cheaper than living in London for a week. So <laughs> that, that isn't actually a joke. There's yeah. no sarcasm there whatsoever. This like. is the thing. And yeah. increasingly with remote jobs and stuff uh, where you can do your work anywhere from anywhere in the world with an internet connection and a laptop, a lot of people are embracing this digital nomad lifestyle where you're just sort of traveling to cool places, living there for a few months at a time. And some people do it for like a few months to a few years and then they decide to settle down. Some people do it permanently. I've spoken to a bunch of people from all, you know, everywhere along the spectrum. But I thought I'd give it a go because first it was med school for six years, then it was F1 and F2, and then it was a pandemic. And then I got a girlfriend who was based in London. <laughs> and now all of the ties, you know, she's also quit her job. So all of, all of the ties have been, have been released. Um, and so we were like, let's do some traveling. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, we're going to dive into a lot of that stuff. I mean, so um, across the three parts, I'd really like to, well, first, in, in this first part, kind of dig into that what is feel-good productivity, because your latest book is absolutely amazing. Oh, um, I uh, provided a quote for it because you sent over the did. kind of PDF to look at it. Yeah. I looked at the book and I was like, this is amazing. I already knew the work that you were doing. Like, you've worked in this productivity space for, your, for years. You are, I call you the king of productivity, because I think, <laughs> I really believe that you are. Um, and so in the first part, we'll think about that feel-good productivity and uh, delve really into that and try to pull, pull out a little bit of what, what that actually means. Because, you know, when people think of productivity a lot of the time, they think of like being really disciplined, you know, knuckling down, working really, really hard. And it does, you, you conjure kind of Im images of being sat in the library, like sweating away, trying to get through all this kind of stuff. And it sounds quite miserable, doesn't it? Whereas your um, idea of productivity and what you've talked about is actually following much more of what feels good and what's fun, what's play. You know, when I, you know, I've been sat down with your uh, book, actually, you know, in an old-fashioned way, having an actual book with paper in front of you rather than a Kindle or so on. And I've been going through it and really kind of mining it for ways that I can help in my own life because I found that particularly in 2023, I was just working so hard, like doing all these different things, but I just felt like I was constantly like chasing end results and things. And I was like, gosh, like, am I really enjoying this process as much mm. as I should or could be? And a lot of the time, the things that I was really enjoying became really, really a lot like work. You know, like, um, it's the idea, I'd imagine, I'm watching um, Breaking Breakpoint at the moment, which is the tennis series on, on, on Netflix, and, you know, a lot of these guys, they started playing tennis because they love it, but now they play tennis and they're so stressed, they're so worried about the end result, and if they don't win, it's a disaster, and it doesn't look fun to me anymore. So I wonder if we could start, um, maybe at that point then, is what, what does feel-good productivity mean? And yeah. Why did you make that, like, is this your, you know, literally, this is your book, right? Why did you choose that as the angle you wanted to talk from in terms of being productive? Yeah, so I've had an interest in productivity since medical school, since I realized that, hey, there are actually techniques out there that can help you study more effectively for exams. And so I got into, into productivity then. Um, I did an extra degree in psychology because, you know, in med school you do an extra degree and really dove into the sort of science of effective memory and retention and all that stuff. That really helped me because it suddenly freed up a lot of my time when I was in uni because now I was, I was using effective techniques rather than ineffective techniques. And so life was all great. 
But then I started working as a doctor. <laughs> and as you know, that is a pretty kind of grueling thing in the sense that when you're at uni, going into the hospital is optional. And <laughs> you wake up in the morning <laughs> yeah. and you're like, oh, I don't really feel like going in today. And broadly, no one cares. Or once you're in, you do the ward round, you're like, hmm, it's a bit boring. I'm just going to pretend I've got teaching and then I'm going to head off and just go back home. <laughs> but you can't do that when you have a job because no. they'll fire you. They'll really and, notice like, very quickly. Yeah, they'll notice very quickly. They'll bleep you. They'll just bleep you wherever exactly. you go. It's attached to you. There's no escape. Um, and so for the first few months of being an F1, I was getting home every day of work feeling like very drained and feeling like I didn't have the energy to kind of work on my YouTube channel or work on my business or actually kind of show up as my best self for my friends and family. So I was like, okay, after a while, it sort of, it sort of got to a breaking point where I thought that this is surely not the way to go. I was speaking to other doctors who were like 10 years ahead of me and they were also miserable and they were just like, oh man, you just got to slug it out. And then, you know, life becomes good once you're a consultant. But then I would speak to consultants and they were also thinking that life is a bit of a slog. And I was thinking, hang on, <laughs> like, why, why, is, why is it like this? Surely there's a better way. Well, you said, I mean, it was an, yeah. we're going to talk more about a specific video that you did that I watched really recently that really has resonated with me and actually has made me made a lot of changes in my own life, like genuinely. Yeah. And you said in there, in that video, that wasn't it like half of the doctors you spoke to basically said, when you asked them, like, would you do this if money were no object? And they were like, uh, no, I'd definitely leave. And the other half were like, yes, but I'd do it less and have more control over it. Exactly, and, and, yeah. And it basically, the lesson is that no one's, a lot of people, and I said it's not fair, a lot of people really love the job as being a doctor, I'm not demonising it, but there are a lot of people that are like, I'm working towards an end goal, which is either retirement or, oh, when I become a consultant, it'll be easier. Then you ask the consultants, they're like, it ain't easier. Yeah. <laughs> it's not easier. Yeah, the consultants reminisce about the time when they were registrars, where they could do the fun stuff and not have the responsibility. The registrars are aiming to be consultants because then they'll be consultants and have more money. And there's this whole like cycle where we keep on aiming for the next rung of the ladder, hoping that that's where salvation lies. Um, but you know, over the, over the years, as I was, I've been making videos about this stuff, interviewing people, a thing that every successful person lands on is this idea of it's about enjoying the journey. And so I, st I started asking that question when I was, when I was in F1 of like, okay, what is actually stopping me from enjoying this journey? And so in, you know, cause I enjoy reading psychology papers. I found a bunch of, <laughs> I found a bunch of papers in the field of positive psychology, which is the branch of psychology that talks about. Um, how to get from good to great because a lot of psychology is about how do you get someone from bad to good? Sure. How do you get someone who's like depressed or like super anxious or whatever to a, a normal level of functioning? Mm -hmm. But this new field, newish field of positive psychology is about how do you get someone who's like at a normal level of functioning to thrive? How do you get, how do you get them to be happy and fulfilled and feel like they have a meaningful life? And there was a cool theory <laughs> in positive psychology called broaden and build, which is a theory of positive emotions, basically saying that if you can experience positive emotions with whatever you're doing, if you can make whatever you're doing feel good, you start to be more productive, more creative, less stressed, and you get more energy to give to the other important areas of your life. And so that was quite intriguing. And I was like, okay, cool. Given that I'm going to be doing medicine for at least the next two years and probably the rest of my life at the time, how do I find a way to make the journey feel good? I, I have no control over what I'm doing. I have to do the stuff that I don't like doing. I have to do rectal examinations. I have to do discharge letters, even though I don't really particularly enjoy them. Um, how do I find a way to make it feel good? <laughs> and that is where this idea of feel good productivity came because when I started actively thinking, how can I actually help myself to enjoy the journey a little bit more? What are the things that I can apply to my day job that make it more fun? Then I started being better at work and like the seniors started complimenting me like, oh, your notes are really good and all that kind of stuff. 
And I also started to get home from work with way more energy than I did previously. And I was able to use that energy to grow my YouTube channel. And I was able to stay consistent with editing videos myself for years because I found ways to make it fun. And so that's really the philosophy of productivity. If, if you can find a way to make fun whatever the thing that you're trying to do is, then productivity just takes care of itself. And like, you know, no one really struggles with motivation or discipline or whatever when it comes to watching Netflix or hanging out with friends. <laughs> that's so like, true. <laughs> that stuff is that's fun. That's so true. That is so true though, isn't it? There because it feels rewarding. It feels rewarding. Reward. It feels good to yeah. see your friends or yeah, watch your favourite show. You don't have... Like, I'm, I'm binge-watching Suits for like the third oh, time nice. again. <laughs> and I don't have to like dis be disciplined to sit down and switch on Suits. It just happens. I seem to enjoy that's the thing. it. And with kids and stuff, you know, parents will say that, oh, little Johnny has trouble concentrating in class. Maybe he's got ADHD. Uh, you know, perhaps he does. But little Johnny is up until three in the morning playing Fortnite with his mates on t you know, for hours and hours on end. Johnny does not have a problem with concentration if the thing that he is doing is a thing that he enjoys. Johnny has a problem with concentration if the thing he's doing is boring him out of his mind. Well, arguably in ADHD, <laughs> the thing that you really notice is that yeah. like, you actually, it's even more pronounced. So if I really oh, yeah. enjoy something, yeah. I'm in it and I'll remember everything about it. I'll be able to give maximum parts of my brain to this thing. Yeah. If I'm not interested, I don't care. To the point where things like, I've, I've had a new number for two years, I've only just learned my new number. Because actually, my brain's like, I don't care, I'm not interested, it's in my phone, I don't need to learn it, so I can just show someone, say, here's my number. But if I'm interested in, for example, you know, when I was really engaged in the hospital, I used to remember patients' blood results, like the potassium for four days in a row, of like yeah. 10 patients, 20 patients, 30 patients in the ward, and it was because my brain was like, locked into that. And I guess it's that point, you know, and then when you think at times where like, I was really, I guess, burnt out in the hospital, all of a sudden I can't remember anything because I'm trying to hate this and resent it or be like, this is so hard. And all of a sudden you can't remember just something simple, like what was the oxygen level of the patient you've just seen. And I guess maybe that's part of it. Oh if God, it interests yeah. you, you remember it. If it doesn't interest you, your brain discards it. Yeah, so I think one, so I, I, I kind of landed on that, uh, on that conclusion as well. And then, you know, some people might be thinking, well, easy for you guys to say, you get to choose to do what's fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, what about the rest of us that have to do things that we don't enjoy doing? And this is, this is kind of what the book is about. The, the book is not saying just like delete everything that you don't like doing. Become and only, a digital nomad, yeah. travel the world, life's easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like only do the things you want to do. It's like, no, we all have to do things we have to do. But there are so many strategies that we can use to make those things feel a bit better. Um, and it's funny you mentioned this, uh, the example of the patient's blood results. This was a story that was in the book, but then we cut it. But a big part of how I landed on this sort of philosophy in my life as a doctor was because I realized that there were certain shifts where I'd get home feeling very energized. And after a while, <laughs> I realized that those were, those were the weekend shifts. There was something weirdly energizing about working on a weekend. And that was a bit surprising because on a weekend, there's less staff, there's less support, uh, there's more work to do and there's more emergencies coming in. So I had more work to do on weekends, but I was more energized at the end of the day. And I realized it's because on weekends, I was choosing to be more engaged. I was the one who had to remember the patient's potassium because the registrar wasn't around. Whereas on weekdays, I could sort of just step back and just allow whatever, allow life to happen and work to happen. The registrar, the senior, the consultants would be chasing the patients and I would just be doing what I was told. And I was like, well, I guess this is just what being a foundation year is like. You just do what you're told. But then suddenly on a weekend where you have way more responsibility because it just happens to be a weekend, those were much more fun. And I found myself wanting to swap into weekend shifts because there was something really fun about them. And that kind of speaks to the second chapter of the book, which is about power, that when we take responsibility and ownership over, over our work, even if it is something that we don't particularly enjoy doing, there is something about taking ownership, taking control, taking responsibility that feels enormously energizing. 
And to your point, you know, <laughs> if you're the one who's sort of having to remember the patient's potassium because you're actually engaged and you're actually interested in it, it's going to make you a way better doctor because now you actually care about your patients and you're like engaged with it, but it's also going to give you more energy at the end of the day. You're, you're less likely to feel completely drained at work if you have that level of engagement with it. You know, there's a question that you put in, it's early on in the book, and it's one of my favourite parts of it because I, I, this is a, an example of what I've actually pulled out and I'm using my own life now, literally I'm using it. And you say, like, if I was going to do this task, how, what would it look like if this was fun? And I, you use the example of like actually writing and sticking it. I think you said you stuck it on your, like as a post-it note, onto your computer at work or like you know, stick it on the fridge at home. Yeah. And it's like, if I'm gonna do something, how to make it fun? And I, I use this, I tested this theory, right? Because um, as an ADHD, um, you can become very avoidant of things that like, you know, sorting your wardrobe or something, that's just how yeah. I've been avoiding it for like two years since I've ever moved in So <laughs> my flat. So I thought, like, I need to do this. I want to do it. It's the start of the year. It's a nice time to do it. So I thought, right, I'm gonna use this theory. What is it going to look like if it's fun? So I thought, well, if it was fun, I'd have music on, I'd have my favourite cup of coffee, Rolo will be on the bed, you know, and I'm just going to, yeah, just do it with a really positive attitude and just try and enjoy it, thinking I can try different clothes on, see what feels good, what I like. And rather than seeing it as a chore, I think even just switching my mindset to thinking I'm choosing to do this, I'm going to make it fun, made a, made a really big difference. The other um, example I've used, which, is, which I've tried, which is really helpful, is I'm doing a public mental health masters at the moment. And it's a really good example of like, it's the devil I've chosen. I don't be negative about it, but I've decided to do something that's basically meant I've got deadlines, more work, pressure, I'm already very busy. And I'm a bit like, oh gosh, I really like this in theory and I actually want to learn the stuff, but actually it's causing me trouble. So I thought, what I'm gonna do in this next module is think, if this is fun, what am I gonna do? Well, if it's gonna be fun, I'm gonna to go to a nice comfortable cafe, have the laptop set up really nice, my favorite like coffee and cake. I'm gonna do it listening to like my favorite podcast. And I'm gonna remember the whole time, you know, I'm gonna follow my nose and go, well, if I'm interested, what, what paper shall I read that I can enjoy and find interesting? And I found that switch to be incredible. Even just having the mindset again of going, actually, let's make it fun. So I wonder from your experience, what examples would you say to people? So if people are listening going, well, that's fine, but I've got my nine to five, I need to do this job. I'm working at McDonald's or I'm working in a cafe. How can I make, my, how can I make this feel good? Absolutely. Honestly, if there's just one thing anyone takes away from the book or even from this podcast and if they don't want to read the book, is it's just that question. What would this look like if it were fun? Because there is always a way. So for example, uh, there's a guy I interviewed for the book. His name is Matthew Dix and he's also a writer, but you know, a few years ago, he, he, was a, he used to work at McDonald's and he <laughs> found a great way to make it more fun. And the thing that he did when he was working at McDonald's is that he'd be working on the drive-through and he would set himself a little challenge every day. He'd be like, Monday is barbecue sauce day. Now, what, uh, what that means is that on Monday, my goal is to upsell as many customers as I can on specifically the barbecue sauce. So they'd go through the drive-through and he'd be like, you know, would you like fries with that? And they'd be like, yeah, sure. And then he'd be like, would you like some barbecue sauce with that? And they'd be, be like, oh, that's kind of off script. That's not what normally that. <laughs> no, I'm good, all right. Yeah. I, you know, I'm all right, thanks. And then he'd say, oh no, but it's, it's, it's really good, I promise you. You know, the last customer was a bit reluctant, but then they tried it and it was really good. And then usually the person on the other end just sort of laughs a bit and they're like, all right, then give me the barbecue sauce for an extra like five cents or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so he said, he, he talked about how adding this little challenge for himself every day made his work suddenly become much more fun because now he's playing a game with himself. Um, in, this, in the same McDonald's branch, <laughs> this guy, Matthew, also instigated a leaderboard amongst everyone working at the drive-thru, where the goal was to try and get the bag out of the window before the customer has a chance to drive to collect it. 
So it's like the bag is ready for them rather than them having to park and then wait and then wait for the bag to arrive. And it was sort of doing the sort of speed runs and like speed trials and it had a leaderboard kind of like in Top Gear, you know, you have the leaderboard of the track and with like little post-its and they would play this game with each other to see how quickly can we get the customer's order to the customer. Now, the manager freaking loved this because the service levels improved, employees are happy and more motivated. And Matthew ended up getting promoted to manager very shortly afterwards because he was showing well, all it's, this. It's clever. It's just been really like <laughs> clever about increasing productivity exactly. of, the, of the workplace. But it was done based on the fact that he actually just wanted to enjoy it a little bit more. Absolutely. But ultimately, fundamentally, he's doing the same job, but just with a different mindset and approach. It changes it. And some of it's also like in terms of productivity, if you're working in a team, some of it's actually how do I make the environment uh, better? Because as part of the masters, I've been learning about um, like different like human resources models, not just about how you create the public mental health better, but also how do you improve workplace mental health, for example, in the NHS. And um, there's a model called, I don't know if you heard of it, the job uh, demand resource Ooh, model, yeah. which is really interesting because it's that idea that every job has both demands and resources. Resources are anything good about the job. And interestingly, some things can be both a demand and a resource. For example, being a doctor, being like re being really caring, caring about your patients can be a, a resource, but it also, if it's causing a huge amount of stress, it becomes a demand, right? Because you're worrying about your patients and their outcomes and so on. But there's a really interesting example that I, I just remember as you're talking. And so I record um, audiobook versions of my books like you have. And where we record it is in the publishing house in Hachette in, in central London. And basically they have this audio booth downstairs where the um, producers work. And so they're recording with us and then they're editing it all together. And every Christmas they have a, a game where they have basically buy all, each week they buy a different brand of mince pie. And what they'll do is they'll all try the mince pie and have a leaderboard of the mince pies. And seriously, it's actually seriously impressive. They try every single one and they create a ranking score of the best mince pie and there's an overall uh, winner of it at the end. And I know that's not necessarily directly related to productivity output, but actually what it shows is that if you create the environment better, you bring people together, you have a bit of fun and reduce the pressure, then that sometimes creates the opportunity for fun in the workplace, which might equate or benefit productivity. Yeah. That's such a good example. Um, the other one, spice tastes good. Yeah. <laughs> the, the other one I really like is um, how you know you and I have both spent a lot of time in operating theatres, and you know what I certainly found is that the surgeons who seemed to like the best surgeons were the ones who seemed to have background music. <laughs> There's something about like lightening the atmosphere a little bit, even in situations of life and death. You know, with a bit of background music, a bit of you know cracking a joke every now and then, sort of just sort of. The, the surgeons who were, who I looked up to the most were the ones who created an environment of ease and friendliness around the place. And, you know, all this human factor stuff, there's, there's a lot of like medical errors that happen in an environment that's too tense, where the nurse or the, the scrub nurse or the anesthetist or the junior doctor or, or whatever picks up something and it's like, hang on, is, is that really the, the right thing? I swear that patient was allergic to whatever and we've just administered it. Hmm. But if the environment is very tense and very serious, they feel like they can't speak up. Whereas if the environment is light and friendly and like they're wearing different colored scrub caps and there's like a bit of light Christmas music in the background and uh, the surgeon's cracking jokes every now and then, th that junior doctor feels a lot more comfortable to be like, uh, excuse me, sir, just to check, I, I actually think the patient is allergic to penicillin or whatever and I feel like we've just given him some Comox. Um, can we just double check that? Or something, yeah, yeah. and now you suddenly saved a life. <laughs> you literally prevented uh, <laughs> like a disaster happening, which yeah. which is easily done. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well. 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I wonder then, if we think about it from this sense, we're talking about feel-good productivity, right? Which we talk about in the book, obviously, a lot. And, 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 and I just wonder, how does feeling good relate to or influence flow state because a lot of the time people talk about the dream is entering that flow state and we, we all know what that is if we think of a moment in time where you're just so absorbed in whatever you're doing whether it's a sport or reading a book or you're you know writing an essay and you enter that zone where your brain just like bam 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 time goes and you have no idea whether it's been five minutes an hour two hours that's the dream when it comes to productivity right i love it when i enter that place i'm like bam 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 everything's so easy everything just happens the brain just works how does, and from all the papers you've read, the work you've done, the people you've interviewed over the year, how does feeling good relate to that? Yeah, so the flow state, there's a bunch of different triggers for it. Um, a lot of them overlap with the feel-good stuff, which is quite nice. Um, one of the main things is that to, to be more likely to hit the flow state, you want to have high engagement and a reasonable level of challenge. So if something is really, 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 really hard and you're really struggling with it, it is very hard to enter the flow state mm. because you keep, it feels like you're bashing your head against the wall. But if something is really easy, and then it just feels kind of boring and it's very hard to enter the flow state because the thing is easy. Um, one thing you can do there is if the thing is too easy, well, if the thing is too hard, try chunking it down. Try and sort of, instead of thinking, okay, I'm, I'm gonna write my book, which is a very hard thing. You know what, I'm just gonna focus on the first four chapters of chapter one or whatever the thing might be. Kind of reduce, like lower the bar and lower the stakes. Try and make it feel less important or less serious in your mind because then you'll, you'll get to that right level of challenge for the flow state. If it's too easy, you can then start adding in a challenge. You can start saying to yourself, okay, there's this, uh, you know, I just need to do the chores or whatever. I mean, it's unlikely that you'll enter the flow, the flow state while doing the chores, but let's say, you know, I, I, I just need to fill out all these forms and it's gonna take me two hours and it's, it's not very mentally taxing, but I just need to do it. In that, in that case, you might experiment with just deliberately ramping up the challenge. How can I do this in one hour instead of two? How could I make it so that, you know, with, with every line in this application, it's like the, it has to spell out a certain word or something, which like no one would notice. Can I kind of do my personal statement for this, different, for this thing that I'm doing in a more entertaining way? Could I work on this presentation, but just add, sort of add a challenge to myself that this needs to look nice as well, rather than just be a generic Google Slides presentation? How to make it look good? It's like you're deliberately adding in these things that will help you feel more engaged with the, with the task. Because a lot of the flow state comes from that, that feeling of engagement. Yes, I'm working on something, I'm using my skills, and I'm working on something that is sufficiently challenging. Not too easy, not too hard, in that right middle zone. And over time, as you kind of recognize what are the triggers for yourself that create this flow state, you start then, it's, it's almost like a muscle. You start being able to sort of 
tweak <laughs> whatever you're doing so that you're far more likely to experience those flow states. It's kind of like the idea of creativity. A lot of people think creativity is something that's either present or it's not. It's either there or it isn't. Yes, of course, certain individuals have like seem to have innate levels of creativity and, and they're, they're seen as more creative people. But I firmly believe that creativity is a muscle. It's one of a really good example of something you can really learn and practice. And I guess this is a similar thing. Like, for example, like I've been writing captions on my Instagram now for six or seven years. I can think of creative captions like infinitely quicker than the first couple of months I started doing it. And you think in a way, surely after six years, you've run out of things to be creative about. But actually, that isn't true, is it? Because you become better and better and better at accessing that part of your brain, looking at you know, what is it I'm trying to create? What's the outcome I'm looking for? What else is out there? And then using all of that information to, to be able to do it. It becomes so much easier, doesn't it? And is that, do you find that's true with, like, with, with you entering like, a flow state now and your, your own productivity? Do you think you're better now than six, seven years ago at entering that kind of, boom, I'm in the flow state? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, there's, there's, there's definitely this thing. The more often you do something, the better you get at it. The more confident you feel, the more playful you can kind of become. It's sort of like, uh, there's, there's a really good writer who I admire called Tim Urban. He writes the blog Wait But Why, which is fantastic. And he said something in an interview recently. He said, the more confident I feel with a particular subject, the more playful my writing is. And I really like that because I think it's the same for me. The more confident I feel with a YouTube video or a piece of writing or an email I'm sending to my audience or an Instagram caption or whatever, the more I can have fun with it because now I'm less in my head. It's sort of like playing tennis. There's, there, there's That's an example. I literally was going to bring up this example. <laughs> so we're in the same field. Go on. There's a certain level of skill that you need to get mm. to in order to enjoy it. Because if you're a complete noob, the, you either hit the ball out or, or it, it doesn't go over the net. Um, similarly, if your partner is a complete noob, they'll either hit it out or he won't go over the, over the net. Both partners have to be at a reasonable level of skill in order to, for both parties to suddenly start enjoying tennis, and then you can really get into the flow state. Um, <laughs> but obviously, getting from bad to good, uh, from bad to good enough takes a lot of practice. But equally, when yeah. you get to a certain level yeah. and the stakes become really high, it yeah. starts working against your flow state. So the, exactly, yeah. and we still need to play, by the way. We've been saying we've been oh, yeah. threatening to play tennis for a long time. Um, but you know, when you get to that point, like watching, uh, I sound like I'm advertising a breakpoint here. I, I'm very much not, but it's fascinating because I was watching a last night with our conversation in mind, thinking, gosh, it's fascinating how these people have such a high level of skill. They're working day in, day out. They're practicing this all of the time. But when they enter the court, some of them seem to get in their own heads. It doesn't look like fun. It looks like misery. In fact, it looks like suffering on the court and they lose. And yet when you watch people that seem to be just in the thing and they're enjoying it, they're relaxed. They don't look stiff, for example. They physically don't look stiff. They look like they're having fun. They play better, which is a really interesting thing, isn't it? Because in the past, if you look at, say, for example, the military, it was all about be tough, never fail, succeed all the time. And that actually, they've changed their slogan to fail, 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 succeed, fail again. Nice. Because they're trying to get people to see that actually the only way you can actually grow is through failure. And, you know, I posted last night on my Instagram, I am um, doing the Masters, the last module, I submitted my, I did my exam, submitted my um, essay, and I actually failed on my essay. And I was so frustrated and gutted by that. It made me really stiff and really thing. And then when I thought, you know what, actually, let it go. Failure is part of the process. Let's just really enjoy the next module. And through enjoyment, it'll work out. And I did relax. And I got first in the essay and in the exam. Oh, so congrats. it worked out It worked out all right. But it, it really did remind me again is that if you become really stiff, 
getting in on yourself, then you really struggle to have good output, don't you? But quickly, as we come to the end of uh, a part uh, one, one thing I'd like to touch upon, because people might be listening and fair enough going, this all sounds great, but does, is there any real si is there science behind this fun mm. and productivity, or is it just something that, that, that sounds good? I'd like to use a little example of seeing things from my world and yeah. kind of education at school and, well, mental health, but also, you know, children's experiences, academia and so on. In this country, we have a very academic-based learning system. It's quite prescriptive. It's quite, I would say, you know, it's quite focused on, you know, following certain targets every year as you go from, like, year, you know, four-year-old all the way through. When you look at countries like in Switzerland and other countries around the world, they do learn through play up to, like, 10 or 11 years old. Much less restrictive, much more based on what the teachers feel they want to lead, much more, well, learn through play. Our academic outcomes are nowhere as good as a lot of other places. Now, I will accept, of course, there's a lot less, a lot more at play. You've got socioeconomic factors, demographic factors that play into that. But there does seem to be evidence there that actually, if kids learn through play, they enjoy it better, they retain more, class behaviour is better, and so on. So I wonder, just your comment and thought on that from your knowledge, and also any other kind of background, like research and things you can share, just to kind of, yeah, show people how the science backs this up. Yeah, so there's a cool study uh, that was done by a psychologist called Alice Eisen in like 1991, I think. And she was the first to really investigate this idea of kind of positive emotions driving real world outcomes. And what she did was she, she got a bunch of people into a lab and she got them to do this problem solving task of creativity. Um, I don't need to go in, into the details, but it's, it's basically a task that, that psychologists use to measure like how quickly does it take someone to get the solution? Because it, the solution requires thinking outside the box, and therefore it's sort of a bit of a test of people's creativity. And so for half the people in the group, she gave them a little piece of candy before they started the task. And for the other half of the group, she gave them like, I don't know, a piece of bread or whatever the thing was. And she found that the people who got the candy were more creative on the task. They, solved, they were able to think outside the box faster than the people who didn't get the candy. And this was sort of what led to this spark in research around, hey, hey hang on, if you make people feel good, if you get them to do stuff that they have curiosity or intrinsic interest in, then do they actually perform better? And a bunch of studies over time have shown that that's the case. I think with play specifically, play is super interesting because it's one of those things that it's almost a bit of a slur. Like as, you know, when we're young, we learn through play. But then as we get older and as we go through the school system, especially in this country, especially in places like the US, it becomes all about standards and grading and pass fail and you have to do this, this, and this in order to get this particular thing, to get into, into this particular university. And, you know, playtime <laughs> is confined to break time and lunchtime. And if parents often see kids playing at home after school, the first question is not, hey, what are you working on? <laughs> the, the, the first question is, have you done your homework? It's sort of like play is this thing that gets shoved into the, the cracks in our life as we get older, rather than a core part of it. Um, this, a couple of Nobel scientists as well who... <laughs> so there's a, a story in the book about Richard Feynman and uh, he, he was like this massively famous physicist back in the day in like the, the 20th century. And he had a, a huge period of burnout after World War II because he'd helped with the Manhattan Project for the atomic bomb. And he was a physics professor. He was super young. He, he got all the achievements and all the accolades and he was just completely burnt out and he didn't enjoy physics anymore. And then one day he, you know, after, after a few months of being in a slump, he was in his uh, university cafeteria and he noticed a student like throwing a plate up in the air, up and I down love in the, the story, air. Yeah. And <laughs> he noticed how the logo of mm. Cornell University 
was sort of rotating at a different rate compared to the circumference of the plate. And his first thought was, ah, who cares? Um, and then he thought, you know what? I, I wonder what the equation would be that would model the rotation of the plate. And then he was like, no, but I'm, you know, I'm a big deal physicist. I don't deal with stuff like that. And after a while he realized, hang on, you know, the reason I enjoyed physics in the first place is because I used to follow my curiosity. I used to play with it. I used to do what I felt like doing, even if it didn't have a clear outcome. And so he decided, screw it, I'm just going to model the equations of this plate. And that plate helped him get, get back the love of physics. And actually, <laughs> the, the equations he wrote about the, model, uh, the rotation of the plate eventually led on to the equations that helped him win the Nobel Prize. And similarly, a bunch of other Nobel Prize winners, athletes, entrepreneurs over the years have found that, hey, you know, when, when people interview them about like their success and how they did the things, they're always kind of, a, a lot of them say that it didn't really feel like hard work. I, it sort of, it just felt like play. So I don't know, I, do, I, I don't know if there's any like randomized controlled trials on this, but there's so much anecdotal evidence. And I think, you know, if we think about our own lives as well, when we feel playful in our work, when we approach it with that sense of lightness and ease, it just makes us perform better in everything that we do. <laughs> a conversation with your spouse is always better <laughs> if it has an, an, an element of playfulness to it, a bit of lightness and ease to it. A public speech, a podcast recording, a YouTube video is always better when it has that sense of playfulness behind it, just a little bit. It's just down the like really love going out, going, going for a walk. It's a, there's got to be some sense of reward or fun to that. I mean, I, I love, I literally love that story. It's a great one of my favourites in the book, actually, because it really does remind you that thing of like, even for people, I'm a very serious physics person, uh, but actually, why don't we just do this in a fun way? And actually, I just love that story because you would not imagine being a physics ultra genius professor and doing things that are fun. Do you know what I mean? And it's probably my ignorance, but. I think it's a great example. So in summary, as it comes to the end of uh, part one, it really is, no matter how mundane the task is, it's trying to find element of fun. We have a lot of students that kind of listen to this. I've had med students messaging me and things about episodes in the past. And it does remind me of med school, for example. If you're going to have to do learn something, how can it be fun? You know, I remember one thing I used to do, might not sound that fun, but you used to just add a little bit of interest to things. As I'd, I'd try and learn facts while trying to throw a tennis ball at a target on the wall, and I'd <laughs> learn it while doing that. And there's something, I'm sure there's something about like psychomotor learning, yeah. like active doing that that helps sink things in. But just I was literally just playing a game with myself while learning something, and it just made it more fun. Yeah, so just the simple things can work. Thank you, Ali. Um, this has been a great start to it. I knew it was going to be awesome. I'm sure you guys are loving it. And if you haven't already, make sure you order a copy of the book. It's absolutely fantastic. Isn't it in like 20 something different languages now already? Yeah, like 30. 33 now as of like Every language in the world. And <laughs> Forbes have been saying it's rather excellent too, which is kind of pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, we've got right? a really nice write-up in Forbes. We got featured in the Financial Times of all places. So it's, yeah. You're doing fantastic. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. If the reason is it's a bit brilliant book and you've worked this for so long. You know, what do they say? Like, you know, is it the 10,000 hours thing? Like if you work <laughs> yeah, something, something for like so long, you're yeah. going to be good at it. And yeah. you're basically put all your kind of, you've distilled, which is a real skill actually. The skill of a doctor really is to distill the knowledge you have into the appropriate thing that you need right now. And that is the challenge and the book's done very well in doing that. Appreciate it. Guys, I'll see you very soon in part two. Goodbye. If you're looking for more mental fitness content, check out my book, The Mind Manual, Mental Fitness Tools for Everyone and A Better Day and A Better Day Journal for Children. And if you have a man in your life, or indeed if you're a man listening to this, make sure you check out Metal, the app, M-E-T-T-L-E, Mental Fitness Tools that are designed for men. Download now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 